Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or to donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. You know that this Light in the Dark series, um, throughout this entire series up to this point, uh, we have been applying light to God. God is light, and in him there's no shadow of turning. He is light. Um, But today, to finish uh, our sermon series, I want to apply light to God's people. And I want you guys to see this. God's plan has always been to create a people who would shine on his behalf. But throughout biblical history... God's people have always struggled to shine. And I want you to kind of listen to what God tells Israel um, in Isaiah 49, and it's really the latter half of verse 6. Listen to what God tells Israel in Isaiah 49, the latter half of verse 6. He says this, I will make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Now, I want to just kind of give you a little, a little story uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, God not only called the people out of darkness, amen? God not only calls people out of darkness, but then he also commissions, commissions them to reflect his glory to all of creation. And I want you to know, God just doesn't bless people to bless them. God blesses so that you can become a blessing. The purpose of the blessing is the overflow of it. See, as Christians, you and I are just conduits of the blessing. The blessing flows through us and out into the world. God doesn't just bless people to bless them. He blesses them so that they can be a blessing. His grace, his mercy, and his favor were never meant to be hoarded but given away. So God chooses a man named Abraham, and this man becomes a family, this family becomes a tribe, and this tribe becomes a nation, and this nation becomes Israel, and God chooses Israel, he blesses Israel, and then he calls them to share that blessing with the nations. But more often times than not, amen... Israel's leadership would lead them into long periods of darkness and idolatry and God's people would blend in with other pagan nations instead of fulfilling their call to stand out and shine. More oftentimes than not, God's leaders or Israel's leaders would fall into a time of rebellion, lead the people into a time of darkness, and the nation that was supposed to stand out and shine looked like everybody else. So Israel's prophets began to look forward to a day when God himself would intervene. And when God himself, the perfect leader, the perfect king, the light of the world would come down and lead his people. And that ultimately his people would succeed as becoming lights in a dark world. Becoming the light that they had always intended to be. And that's basically the entire Old Testament story. Now, this next part is really important, but it can be a little dense. 
um, it can get a little confusing. So I'm going to do my best right now to try and make this as clear as I can. So try to stick with me. This part's important, though. The Old Testament prophets called this future intervention the last days. You see, the children of Israel were not succeeding in their commission to shine. And so the prophets began to say, in the last days... This will happen. We're not shining now. Our leadership is uh, rebellious and bringing us into time of darkness and idolatry. But the prophets would say, a leader is coming. A Messiah is coming. And we're looking forward to a time when God himself will come and lead his people to accomplish what they've always been meant to accomplish. And that is to shine. And the prophets would call this the last days. But what the prophets didn't fully grasp What they didn't fully comprehend, you know, the prophets, they would see, but they would only see in part, right? God would speak to them, but they would never get the full picture. They would get glimpses of the picture. Are you with me? But what the prophets didn't fully grasp was that these last days would be more like an in-between period of time, a time that would exist between the two advents of the Messiah. Now, let me explain what that is. The first advent was when Christ was born as a baby boy. It was when God himself came to the earth. Advent actually means coming. And so the first advent was when Christ was born. The second advent is something that you and I look forward to is when Christ will return for his church. Now what the prophets didn't understand was that those two things weren't one. That those were actually two separate things that were going to take place. And so what the prophets called the last days were really the days in between Advent 1 and Advent 2. Are you guys with me on that? Now, theologians refer to this middle time as the age of the church or the church age. And the church age started on the day of Pentecost. On, the day, on that day, the day of Pentecost, you can find that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell And that marked a new era, a new beginning. No longer would God's spirit only dwell on specially anointed leaders like he did in the Old Testament. But now he'd be in everyone. Now the spirit of God would not just fall on a chosen few for a particular moment. But now the Holy Spirit of God would fall on every member of the New Testament community. Young and old, men and women, slave and free, every member of the new covenant community who placed their faith in Jesus will be filled with his spirits. Let's break this down. Where the old covenant people under sinful leadership rebelled and failed to shine, the new covenant people led by Christ, the perfect Messiah, and powered by the Holy Spirit, would succeed. Now, this is incredibly good news for you and I. We are now living in those last days that the faithful and the prophets could only hope for and barely understand. So my prayer for Inspire Church 
is that we would never fail to shine as a light in Union City and all over the Bay Area and everywhere else God takes us. My prayer is that we would follow the Messiah, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that we would shine in Union City, in the Bay Area, and everywhere else the Lord takes us. So before we get into the text this morning, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, for the last four weeks, we have anticipated, we have reflected, and we have celebrated the birth of Jesus. And today, we now look into what it means for us to be a light. Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? Will you transform us? Uh, And will you cause Inspired Church to just be a little light among many lights in the Bay Area and beyond for your honor and for your glory? In Christ's name we play. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read two verses, 14 through 16, but don't feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't open my Bible. It's only two verses. I'd love for you to go there. So if you have your Bibles, you have your Bible apps, Matthew 5. Um, We'll also have it for you on the screen, but definitely would love for you to follow along. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Now, uh, we're really dropping right in the middle of what I consider to be and what probably most people consider to be one of the most important sermons ever preached by Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, In fact, if you're looking for reading in the New Testament, if you're looking for Bible reading this new year, and a lot of you in here are making your resolutions, and I'm sure many like, I want to read my Bible this year. Try the one-year Bible. I'm going to do that myself. But also, uh, get into the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe take all of January just to read the Sermon on the Mount. It'll blow your mind. It'll mess you up. It'll do everything you want it to do and more. Um, But it is An incredible sermon. And so we're going to actually read an excerpt from that sermon. We're going to drop right in the middle of it just for the sake of this morning's topic. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 14 through 16. And it reads like this. And this is Jesus kind of speaking to his disciples. And this is what he says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, for the rest of our time together, I want to focus on three things. Our identity as lights, our duty as lights, and our ultimate purpose as lights. Three things. As followers of Christ, we have an identity as light. We have a duty as light. And then we have an ultimate purpose as light. And so follow along with me. Hopefully by the end of this, you'll be able to answer all three of those questions or all three of those statements. Now, Jesus made this bold statement to his followers. He said, you are light. He didn't say, you're like light, nor did he say, try your best to be a light. But he makes an audacious claim regarding the identity of everyone who believes in him. Light is now who you are. 
But we should understand our place as light. You see, we are not sources. We are reflectors. Consider the moon just for a moment. During Earth's darkest hours, the moon is its most visible form of light. But the light that the moon gives is not its own. The moon simply reflects the sun. Similarly, you and I have been commissioned to shine in the midst of a very dark world. But we are not the ultimate source of light. We are simply reflectors of a greater power source in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. You see, our original state was darkness. We not only preferred the darkness, you and I, we love the darkness. And it wasn't until God spoke into our hearts that his word illuminated what was once covered in shadow. Y'all remember that? And some of you, you're just, you're just moving forward in your faith. You've been taking baby steps. But one of the things you do know is that something is taking place. There's a, an illumination happening inside of me, and I'm seeing things and thinking about things in ways that I never saw and thought about them before. Something happened. God spoke into your heart, whether it was through a preacher or a best friend, whether it was through a, a, a relationship, a cousin, an auntie, or an uncle. God spoke through a really imperfect vessel. But it was his word nonetheless, and it illuminated something inside of you. Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, at one time, you were darkness. Some of you were dark. Some of you sitting here today, I was real dark. But now, you are light. Now, some of you are still wrestling with that. Paul says, walk as children of the light. So if you're a follower of Christ this morning, the question is not existence, it's effectiveness. If you place your faith in Jesus, can I just tell you, stop questioning, am I or am I not light? If you place your faith in Jesus this morning... Stop wrestling and having tension with this reality of whether you are or you're not the light. Jesus said, guess what? You are the light. You're not, you're not the source of light, but you are light. And because you're light, it makes no sense to hide because light was meant to shine. Jesus said, it's impossible to hide a city on a hill. Nor would anyone ever cover a lamp up with a basket. Now, let me, I have to give a little side note. Some of you are like, well, I go to my house. I got little baskets on my, on my light. But we're talking about a time when there was zero light sources at all. And the houses weren't as big as yours and not decorative and as pretty as you try to make it and feng shui, whatever you call all that stuff. Now we're kind of weird. Jesus would say, y'all hide your light under a basket. But the idea was not to hide it to create this dim effect. The idea was actually to create light so that you could actually see because the darkness, there wasn't no electricity during that time. And so 
Jesus said, it's impossible to hide a city on a hill, nor would, you, nor would anyone ever cover a lamp up with a basket. So why would it make sense to be an invisible Christian? Our identity is light, and our duty is to shine. And some of you are still wrestling with whether you are or you're not, and so you can't even shine. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you are light. So your duty is to shine. It's not about existence. It's about effectiveness. Now, I want to answer both these questions in this section. What is this light, and what does it look like to shine it? Let me start by telling you what this light is not, okay? Are you ready? Are you ready? You know when I say that, put your seatbelts on, some of you get a little offended, that's okay. So let me start by saying, what is this light not? It's not your political affiliation. So stop it. Stop it. It's not your political affiliation. Contrary to what you think, Republican doesn't mean Christian. And for the Democrats in the room, your Democrat doesn't mean Christian either. You could tell who's what, right? They all laughed at each other. Right? Christianity is unity and diversity. You can come in this room and be on two sides of the aisle and still have unity in Christ. Amen? Okay. Your ability to shine your light transcends the aisle you prefer to sit on come November when it's time to vote. Your light is not your political affiliation. And when we begin to identify our Christianity with our political affiliation, we begin to marry the two, we lose our salt in the world, and we're not very tasty anymore. People reject Christ. And I say this all the time, Jesus was not American. All right? I know some of you like to think manifest destiny here, but he's not. He's not. Number two, it's not your theological acumen. Just because you have enough knowledge to win a religious debate with your sister on Thanksgiving, <laughs> that doesn't all of a sudden make you a shinier person. In fact, she makes you more annoying, less shiny. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Please do apologetics. We need people who can articulate their faith. In fact, I think many of you don't articulate, or many of you don't share your faith because you don't know how to articulate it. So you do need to grow, but knowledge puffs up. Without love, you get a prideful Christian that's not even representing Christ. So, I'll laugh at this next one because there's a few of you in here that are with me on this. Finally, it's not your body. It's not all those diets and exercises that are helping you firm up, right? Now, don't misunderstand me. My body needs help. My body needs help. My body, I was just talking to my boy the other day. I was like, hey, let me know what you do, man. I need some help. None of these things are bad things. My body needs help. But all of these things are not your lights. And I only mention these three because sometimes I feel like many Christians are more equipped to go public in those areas than they're equipped to go public with their faith. And maybe it's not your fault. The church needs to do a better job of equipping you. I get it. But I just feel like, and maybe it's just because of social media, but those are like the top three things I'll be seeing all the time. I feel like we're more equipped to go public with those things than we are equipped to go public with our faith. I hope, I pray, Inspire can become a church 
that challenges and trains you to feel more confident about shining. And so a lot of that's on us. Now that we kind of have an idea of what light is not, what actually is it? Jesus defines shining as, ready, good works in the presence of others. So what does good works look like in the life of a believer? Now, it would be impossible to rattle off a list of good works this morning, not to mention if I, list a, a, if I made a list of good works, then people would say, well, what about this? And you didn't list this. And so I want to let you know, be led by the Holy Spirit. There are an unlimited amount of good works. So I don't want to rattle off a list of good works. I just want to briefly give you what I think are three characteristics of shiny people, okay? You want to be a shiny person? I'm going to give you three characteristics of what um, is a shiny person. Number, number one, a shiny person, ready? They love sacrificially. Wow. They love sacrificially. I thought you guys were going to give me a mmm. That was, they love sacrificially. Shiny people serve others well. And I can see why that doesn't excite you because it involves you doing something above and beyond your own selfish ways. When it comes to loving sacrificially, I have to tell you, my wife, Jamila, is shiny. She is shiny. I'm going to oust her. She's always, she's always ready for my personal little illustrations that involve our family. My poor son, um, he'll have it too when he reaches a certain age. But, um, you know, I was just watching her today. I was, you know, last couple of days. She's been, she's been battling a little bit of sickness, but she's here today. Um, but my wife, she could be sick. She could be busy. She could be sick and busy, but she never fails to serve the needs of her family well. Even if it means placing our needs in front of her own. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of unhealthy codependency. I'm talking about a love that demonstrates Christ to P3 and I every single day. Every single day. I want you to get this. Shiny people serve with a gracious heart, with no grumbling and complaining, putting others' needs before themselves. They love sacrificially. Number two, shiny people, they love sacrificially. They live counterculturally. When it comes to Bay Area culture, I've seen Christians and churches live in and respond to it in different extremes, right? Shiny people live counterculturally, but when it comes to the Bay Area, and really when it comes to all culture, I've seen Christians and churches in the Bay Area live in particular extremes. Let me explain to you what these extremes are. Some have become separatists or escapists. What do I mean by that? They respond to the darkness of our culture by condemning it and then retreating from it. Let me tell you what they sound like. Are you ready? We got to get out of the Bay Area, man, because it's so ungodly and sinful here. We got to get out. He's going to judge this place. You've heard it. Yes, you've heard it. Some of you go online and read these guys. He's going to, you know, there's going to be an earthquake and that's going to be God's judgment. And the Bay Area, so Christians leave now. Abandon people that God wants to, that God has given his life for. Escapist, separatist, complaining about how dark it is. And as a result, I just have to go somewhere else. 
Others have become antagonists. Their response to the darkness of our culture is to fight against everything it promotes. Come on, y'all know who that is, right? They kind of sound like Bobby Boucher's mama and water boy, right? Everything's the devil. Football's the devil. Foosball's the devil. That girl's a devil. Everything is the devil, right? You have people that want to run away and retreat and go somewhere else and let, you know, God send them all to hell, right? And then you got other people that are there fighting against it and just calling everything the devil, It's so bad, they're even calling other churches the devil. You want to know what the major problem with both of these responses are? It demonizes and then it distances so that God has called us, so that the ones that God has called us to love up close, we run away from. How can the world see the beauty of our Jesus if Christians are too busy fighting it and hiding from it? How could the culture see the beauty of Christ if Christians are too busy fighting the culture and hiding from the culture? On the other hand, I've seen many make what I think is the most popular error in American Christianity today. They seek relevancy. In order to appeal to culture... They simply copy the culture. There's no visible distinction whatsoever. These individuals live lifestyles of compromise. But I believe shiny people are not separatists. They're not antagonists. Or they're not striving to be relevant. Instead, they lead lives that are counter-cultural. They live in such a way that causes others to take note and say, man, you do things differently. Everyone seems to be living their life in this particular way, but you live it in an entirely different way, and this is key. And you look like you're happy because there are some Christians, you're living counterculture, but you look miserable. <laughs> well, I can't go out tonight, you know. Man, just being a Christian is the worst thing I've ever did. You go have fun over there. Never since I gave my life to the cross, you know, I'm just bored out of my mind. My gosh, you're not shiny at all. I mean, we want to keep you, but can the Lord do something with your life? So counterculturally isn't just you doing it to do it, but it's you doing it because there's a joy in it, because there's a, greatest purpose, there's a greater purpose behind it. Let me give you some examples of living Christian counterculturally. I just got three for you. But any singles in the building? Yeah, don't even wave your hand. <laughs> You're bold. Yeah, I love you. I love you. You're bold. You're bold. Everyone's like, hey. There are a lot more singles in here, but most of you know where I'm about to go. Okay, this is going to be kind of awkward, so I'm just going to move forward. I probably shouldn't have had anybody do this. I apologize, sis. This is not to you. This is just to everybody. So let's, let's get back in this. Man, this, I feel like this is already going to be awkward. But as singles, right, as singles, uh, we're called to singleness in this time. Um, I think a great way to live counterculturally is instead of having sex before marriage, 
You're patiently waiting on God. And you're trusting in Christ to satisfy. I got one clap. God bless you. You're trusting God and you're, you're leaning on Christ for your satisfaction. You're not finding it in partners and in relationships and physical fulfillment. But you're restraining for a season because the beauty of Christ is far greater than a moment in the bedroom. You're living counterculturally. That's shiny. Married couples, you're committed to loving one another in private and in public sacrificially. Ensuring that your marriage becomes a gospel witness to your children and to all the unbelievers that are around you. Your marriage is a witness. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's shiny. How about this? Your 2019 goals can include, but are not dominated by a better body, a longer vacation, and material wealth. But instead, it looks more like more giving, more serving, more growth in God's word with his people and community. It might even include going on a mission trip to the Philippines. I don't know. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. All right, just making sure you know. Countercultural living ensures that we remain in the culture, loving the culture, without becoming like the culture. Countercultural living ensures that we remain in the culture, loving the culture, without becoming like the culture. As shiny people, we seek not to totally reject it or receive it but to fulfill the call of Christ to be a part of his plan to redeem it. We don't reject it. We don't receive it, but we become part of Christ's plan to redeem it. Finally, number three, shiny people accomplish all of the above humbly. Humbly. Shiny people love sacrificially, live Counterculturally, and you ready for this? And refuse to take any credit for it. This kind of this leads me to my final point. We talked about your identity as lights. Amen. You're not the source. Don't get it twisted. We don't worship you. You can't generate light within yourself. You are a reflector, but you are light. Number two, we talked about the duty of light. What does it mean to shine? Talked about what a shiny person is. And finally, my final point is, what is our ultimate purpose as light? What is our ultimate purpose as light? Did you catch it? Jesus said this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. You see that? Now, most of you say, well, isn't that our purpose, to shine so that they can see me? 
They can see my works. They can see me. Look how good Phil is. Wow. Phil and Jamila, man, that's a real good relationship. We want to be like them. See how prideful that can be? But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He says, your ultimate purpose isn't to shine the light so that others could see your good works. He says, to shine your light so that others could see works. Ready for this? This is key. And give glory to your Father in heaven. Our ultimate purpose is light is to give all glory and all credit to God. Shiny people understand that they don't deserve this grace and mercy that they've been given. They know that because it was a free gift, there was nothing that they did to earn it. You're not special. This understanding of the gospel combats the temptation to take pride. And it causes shiny people to walk in humility, knowing that even though they are light, they are not the source. Everything that shines out of them and towards others only flows because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ on the cross. As a result, they do not boast. They cannot brag, but instead they give all glory to the Father. And I believe of all the things Christ has commissioned us as his people to do, shining our light before men in such a way that we don't take credit for it is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, shining is hard. Amen? But then shining and not taking credit for it is hard. But when I realize that my shining has within it the beautiful potential to lead someone to my Savior, I can't help but be compelled to love sacrificially. Let me say that again. When I realize that my shining has the potential to lead someone to my beautiful Savior, Jesus, living counterculturally becomes a delight. Some of you, it's still a struggle. But when you know the beauty of the Savior, it's a delight. It's a delight. Because my light has potential to lead somebody to my beautiful Savior. And so I struggle, but I live and I love sacrificially. I live counterculturally. I can't help but be compelled to do all these things and accomplish all these things to the honor and glory of God. Now, before we finish, and we're going to take communion together, I'd like for you and I to reflect on three questions. In fact, I think these are great questions to ask yourself in 2019. In fact, I think these are great questions to take into this next couple of days and just maybe take a little bit of time to have a private devotion by yourself or maybe with husbands and wives and maybe answer these questions individually or together. Um, They're not too big. They won't take too long. Maybe find a nice little path, take a long walk, talk with the Lord about them. Um, And if you want to take a little picture of them, you totally can. And we'll probably throw up these questions on social media too this week. But here's what I want you to consider. Is there anything in my life right now that is not bringing glory to God? Question number one. Is there anything in my life right now not bringing the glory to God? And I'm not here to condemn you or to guilt you. 
I'm just here to call you to the beauty of Christ. Is there anything in my life right now not bringing glory to God? Is there anything hidden that needs to be gently exposed by the light? Because I want you guys to know, light plus love equals healing. Holy Spirit, search me. Is there anything in my life not bringing glory to you? Is there anything hidden in the dark corners of my life? In sin, rebelliousness to your word. That needs to come gently into the light. Number two. How can I become more shinier in 2019? How can I serve more consistently? How can I give more consistently? Will you set goals? And before it's your body goals, before it's your wealth goals, uh, before it's your vacation goals, can you set some goals that reflect you being a more shinier person, loving sacrificially? What can I do to love my wife more sacrificially? What can I do to love my family more sacrificially? What can I do? To live more counterculturally, and how can I give glory to God? And finally, number three, my absolute favorite who will I shine my light on in 2019 so that they may know my beautiful Savior? Notice I didn't say, Who am I gonna push my religion on? Who am I gonna get into some sort of debate with so I can prove them wrong? Because we know that the purpose is to crush someone, not love someone. No, 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 no. Who, who will I shine my light on in 2019 so that they may come to know Jesus? And please don't put pressure on yourself. Don't feel like you got to walk them through the Romans road and know every theological answer and get them to love Jesus by the third day of January. That is not. It may take an entire year. You may shine your light on someone their entire lives. And you may die and they may give their heart to Christ at your funeral. What a beauty. You may never see the fruit of that, but you're consistently, there's somebody you've written down that you want to shine. And here's what I'd suggest you do. Make a list of names. It doesn't got to be 500. It could be two, one. It could be three. And then don't stress over, don't stress over the, 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 don't stress over the success of this thing. We start stressing over the success, then we stop shining, we start controlling. Shine. Because the Bible clearly says some water, some plant, but only he brings the increase. You don't, you don't have control whether that person is going to come to Jesus or not. All you can do is shine, 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 shine. Keep shining. Make a list of names. Shine. And pray over that name or those names regularly. Three things you could do this week. We started out this series anticipating a great light. The prophet Isaiah says, in a land of deep darkness, a great light has come. And so we look forward to the coming of a baby boy who was ancient but a baby. And then in week three, while the prophet Isaiah looked ahead, the Apostle John looked back. He didn't anticipate, but he reflected on what he saw. He said, I knew this boy that Isaiah was talking about. I seen him. I walked with him. I witnessed him as a man, and he was the light. 
In fact, he was the pre-existing word. And in him was life. And the life was the light of man. And finally, week four, if you remember, two days before Christmas, we celebrated the arrival of that light with a glory explosion. And all of us in this room, we gave glory to God in the highest because nothing is more deserving of praise. Nothing was more epic of all the things that God had ever did in all of creation. The angels are still in awe of the fact that he put on flesh, that he dwelt among us, and that he took your place and died on the cross. Finally, today, I thought it would be only appropriate, after knowing the beauty and glory of our Savior, now we shine. Now we shine because his love compels me to shine. Heavenly Father, I just come before you as part of the pastoral staff of this church, just the representative heads of this church. Um, I repent on behalf of me and my family and a church. Lord, if we haven't lived shiny, uh, counterculturally, even loved sacrificially, if the beauty of Christ hasn't compelled us, Lord, you are so merciful. You are so full of grace. So we appeal to that beautiful grace and mercy we repent and we bring into the light our sin our dysfunction our thinking whatever it is right now that we're holding on to that sin that so easily ensnares us lord we repent and we believe the gospel over and over again over every aspect of our life i know this is a holy moment but um it's just such an honor to gather together and we do this once a month as a family and just remember together it's such an honor to be in a room full of broken people right it's an honor to be in nobody in here myself included we are broken and some of you maybe during the holidays your brokenness came up a little bit more maybe you took a couple of steps back you're you're feeling real condemned this morning we just break that off right now we just trust in the Lord we repent we believe the gospel and we continue to move forward because he is worthy he's worthy so Lord thank you for this gift that you've given us that imperfect broken people a gift that the angels still look at her in awe of we honor you we love you and we ask that you would be with us as we celebrate the rest of this resurrection Sunday And we live in between the advents. We live after the birth, but of course we're anticipating your coming back. And we celebrate that in 2019. Will you be with us? Will you help us to be a church that shines? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. We love you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week.